0: And so we read, Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that Yahweh, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. And again we say, thanks be to God. This is a pretty important psalm. It it talks about the people of God together for worship, entering into His courts, entering through His gates, uh, and how that worship should look. You, You might say also that Psalm 100 gives us a sense of the attitude that a Christian ought to have before God, And because the worship of God was one of the most important aspects of the Reformation, this psalm became a treasure for many of the Reformers. What I want to show to you is at least three things I want us to learn from this psalm this morning. That worship is a glad service, that worship is for God's people, and that worship is for grateful hearts. Worship is glad service. It's for God's people and it's for grateful hearts. And so we'll start with worship is a glad service. And looking at verse 1, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. So notice, this is a text that calls the whole earth to worship. Now we take a text like this and I think, We tend, as we do with lots of texts, to individualize it. Now, if the text is addressed to the individual, like Psalm 23, uh, then so much the better. But when we're talking about the whole world, we want to be careful before we jump straight to individualizing. Here's what I I mean. Sometimes I think we take a text like this, um, make a joyful noise to the Lord, and we say, okay, that means that God has called us to make joyful noises even if they're not pretty noises. Have you ever heard that? (laughs) I would say that's a fine sentiment, but the text here in Psalm 100 is not addressing individual noises. It is a call to the whole earth to make a, a singular, joyful noise together. Okay, so what does that mean? Or maybe the better question, what does that sound like? well in in the ancient world, uh, the, your your readers or rather your singers who would sing this n- would have known what that meant. It would have been something akin to you think when the when the king is entering the city, and everyone 's making a joyful noise. This is what it sounds like. Long live the king right People are united in their you might say joyful noise making uh, and so uh, uh, British Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner, if we can go to that next, yeah, he, he points out, he says, the joyful noise is not the special, and by that he means like individual contribution of the tone deaf, <laughs> still less of the convivial, but the equivalent in worship to the homage shout or fanfare to a king, okay. So the fanfare shout to a king. So so what's the closest approximation that we've got? Well, you just did it earlier. I said all God's people said and all of you said. Amen. That's that's the joyful noise. That's an example of the joyful noise. It can also be done musically when we sing together. In other words, it's it's not so much it's not so much a random shout that one person might make when they get excited. It's more like the unified amen of the entire congregation all over the world. It's more like the melodies and harmonies of a hundred trumpets blasting as the king enters the throne room. And God indeed calls the earth to worship him, which was an astounding claim in the ancient world. In the ancient world, your gods were regional. Mm -hmm. Regional, uh, specific to particular nations and regions and countries and things like that. And when, when nations went to war, that was God's, picking fights with each other, and may the best one win. But the God of Israel is not shy about constantly reminding everyone that He's not just the God of Israel. Not just the God of Jerusalem or a promised land. He calls the whole earth to worship Him. And so, this is a good reminder then, as we think about God calling us together to make a joyful noise to Him, just the importance of gathered Corporate worship, which is different from private worship. Many of you practice private worship, and I think that's good for the Christian to do. Uh, you might have a different name for it. You might call it a quiet time or a Bible reading, devotional habits. Um, I prefer the term private worship to, to each of their own for, for terminology. I think we're all talking about basically the same thing. Psalm 100, though, is it gives you a sense of what corporate worship is about and the joy and thankfulness that attends to it. And so, sorry, I missed. Okay. And so then corporate worship is, is distinct from private worship in this way. That, that private worship is indeed the time and, and the experiences that you are having sort of one-on-one with God in scripture and in prayer and, and in singing as well. I think singing is a wonderful element to add to private devotion and to family worship. But corporate worship is a bit different. Corporate worship is not, and I think sometimes we think about it this way, corporate worship is not a hundred of us each in 100 individual isolated cubicles just happening to have our quiet time in public. Corporate worship is the gathered body lifting praises to God together. It's like a family reunion. If you showed up at a family reunion and you grabbed a microphone and you said, thank you everyone for coming to see me. (laughs) Like... What is, what, is wrong, what is wrong with you know, Cousin Rick or whatever? I think he's lost his mind. They say, why is he making this all about him? It's not about one person. It's about all of us gathered together. That's the reunion bit. This psalm opens with a call to the family reunion, God's family reunion of all of the nations, of the entire earth, to come before him and make a joyful sound together. With gladness and with song. That's verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. If you have a Bible translation other than the ESV, you might have worship the Lord with gladness. ESV says serve the Lord with gladness. What's going on there? Well, little fun fact, this Hebrew word can mean worship and it can mean serve. It can go either way. And it seems, I, I don't wonder if God means for us to pair those two things together. Same as Psalm 2. Okay? You remember at the end of Psalm 2, O kings be warned, right? This, this warning goes out to the kings and the judges, and they are called to serve the Lord with fear. Same word. Worship the Lord with fear. So does that mean... Psalm 2, that the rulers and authorities and presidents and senators and governors and mayors of the world are being called to serve the Almighty, or are they being called to worship the Almighty? Yes. Yes. Same as Exodus uh, chapter 20. You think of the the Ten Commandments? uh, uh, The second commandment regarding images. You shall not bow down to them or serve, worship them. Okay? The word can be translated as serve or worship, but it's the same word. And so I direct you back to what I said was going to be the first point of the sermon. Worship is glad service to God. That's part of it. Worship, part of worship is glad service. God has called you, dear brothers and dear sisters, to serve Him, to follow Him, to do what He's called you to do and to worship Him. And in the Bible, there's really not a strong distinction between those two things. We also see this in the New Testament. If you'll go to that Romans uh, passage as well, Romans 12, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, some translations, your reasonable service. I think in the ESV, it's actually got a footnote there. It says, or reasonable service. That's because the same concept is bound up in the words. When Isaiah, when the prophet Isaiah is brought into the heavenly courts of God, the heavenly courts of Almighty God, what does he do? He, he repents of his sin, right? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But in the presence of God, he falls down and what does he say? Here I am, send me. His, his worship and his service are in the same breath. When Abraham was taking Isaac up to the mountain, oh, such an amazing moment, right? God has told him, you, you're going to go up to the mountain, you're going to sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love. And Abraham had to be thinking, like not only, but you gave me this son that I, that I love. You mentioned it, by the way, that I love him. But not only that, you promised me that the nations are going to come through, the promise is going to come through Isaac. And so Abraham turns to his servants and he says, the boy and I are going up to worship. Worship, and we will we we will return to you. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us uh, you know, later on that Abraham's uh, uh, supposition was that God was going to resurrect him. But what was Abraham doing in this moment? The boy and I are going to go worship God. And the servant said, oh, you're going to go worship? Uh, okay, Abraham, here's your guitar and here's your hymnal. Um, hopefully you guys have a nice time up there. Not that that can't be part of worship. Of course it is. But Abraham was saying, I'm going to go up to this mountain and do what God has told me. All the while trusting God. So what's happening in a worship service? Service. We call it a service. Well, two things. Two reasons we call it a service. One, it is that God Himself meets and serves you with things like word and water and bread and wine. God himself meets you and serves you with what you need most, more of himself, more of his own promises to confirm them to your hearts. But then what is he readying you for as well? What's that, what's that word and what's this table? What's, what's all that readying you for? What's it all for? It's, 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 to, it's to send you out. It's to deploy you into the world. To, to go forth and love God and to love neighbor and to serve God in the ways that he's called you to do. And so, what is God doing in the midst of us this morning? He's calling us to worship. That's where we began. Bringing your sins to mind. Forgiving you with His own words. Calling you to sing together. Instructing you from the Scriptures and the Psalms. He's washing you in baptism. He's feeding you with His own body and blood. And then He's sending you out. With the knowledge of what it means to live as forgiven people to, as Peter says, to follow in his steps. So part of our worship is that we, we, we come in together every Sunday and we ask the Lord, how, Lord, then shall we live? How shall we follow you? And he tells us in his word, it's always my hope that the sermon addresses you where you are and confronts you with your sin and then sends you packing, as it were, to the cross. And then you take that home. Filled with all the grace and strength that God means to give you. And find yourself to be a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. So when we gather to worship, on the first day of the week, just like the early church, we're saying to God, this is day one of my week, this is day one of my worship. Here I am, send me. And we sing, and we hear, and we feast, we receive a blessing, and God says, Go keep worshiping. Go love your wife. Go raise your kids. Go respect your husbands. Go tell your neighbors about Jesus. Go pray with your family and lead your children in prayer. Go encourage that friend who's really lonely and needs some help. Go visit that widow. Go worship. Yeah. I think, I've, I think I've made the point well enough. I hope, I hope you get it. And and do it with gladness. Go back to verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Gladness is the attitude of our service and our worship. Gladness is or oh, um ought to be, right? The, the, the default setting for a Christian. Gladness. That's that's a, a kind of happiness that's rooted in a joy. That's bigger than your circumstances. That's greater than the sorrow that might come with those circumstances. And gladness doesn't always look the same. Okay, I'm not talking about like you're you're giddy and giggling all the time. There is even times when I would say gladness can be serious. C.S. Lewis said, "In mere Christianity, there is a kind of joy that makes you serious." You see it at weddings, right? When a man and a woman. Or exchanging these vows that are meant to last until their very last breath. Is that happy? Well, of course it is. How could it not be? So, is it serious? Yeah. Yeah, it is. If you've been married more than five seconds, you know that. So if gladness doesn't always look the same in terms of its emotional expression, then then how do we kind of get our hands around it and define it? Gladness is, uh, let me put it to you this way, it's a gladness in something, and it's a gladness along with something. It's a gladness in something, namely the fact that we belong to the Lord. The fact that we belong to the Lord. How do I know that? Oh, look at verse 3. Know the Lord, know that the Lord, He is God, it is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So where does the Christian root his or her gladness? In the fact that I'm, I belong to the Lord. I'm a sheep in His pasture. I'm one of His. He's made me His own, as we're going to confess in a moment before we come to the table. I'm not my own. I belong to my Lord Jesus Christ. This knowledge that we belong to God is not a small thing. Sorry, I didn't conclude my point. Hmm. I said gladness is gladness in something that we belong to the Lord and along with something. It's along with thanksgiving. Verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. There it is again. Bless His name. So so we're to find gladness in that we know that our Lord is God. We know that he's, He's King over all the world. He calls all the world to worship Him. And along with our thanksgiving. So worship belongs to our god that's the second point worship is for god's people it belongs to god and 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 so do we belong to god the knowledge that we belong to god as i said no small thing it means that you are not an accident and i i almost think that's like a bit of coffee mug wisdom that we run over too quickly like you are in no sense an accident God has put you here and He's surrounded you with other people called neighbors. If you want to know who to love, start with them. And so the knowledge that we belong to God, it also means what happens to you has a point. It means that you're called to be sheep as part of a flock as, and that you have a shepherd indeed this is why Jesus calls himself the good shepherd right he comes and lays down his life for the sheep so that we enter into his presence not only with the knowledge that we're his but that we're his on purpose right if the cross tells you anything it's, it's that, that he right he died for you and he meant to we are his by the fact that we've been bought with his blood and we receive the forgiveness of our sins and what do we say to that except thank you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and bless his name worship is for God's people worship means and that means worship is for a thankful people this is really important because if If you feel like the whole concept of Christian gladness is like locked behind a door and you can't get to it. I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but I would not describe my day-to-day life as gladness. And so, it's like gladness is behind a locked door, I, I can't get through the door. My encouragement to you is that the key is thankfulness. Is cultivating thankfulness. We enter into His gates with thankfulness. And by the way, we bring all our troubles with us. Okay? I remember when I was in college, I once heard a preacher say, frequently actually, he said, when you come into this place to worship God, leave all your troubles at the door and just be free to worship. I remember thinking, God can't handle me with my troubles? I have to leave them for the door? Uh, well, they're just going to be waiting for me on my way out. Right? I have to escape. Like, I mean, I, I think, and maybe this is perhaps a bit uncharitable to him, but I, I just felt like the, almost the intention was like, you know, when you, if you've had the experience of putting on headphones and turning up the music really loud so that you can't hear yourself think anymore, I almost thought it was something like that that was going on. At least that was kind of the nature of how the service worked at that time. But the psalmist doesn't say, enter his gates without your troubles. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Bring all your troubles and your shortcomings and your failures right with you. God means to meet you in the mess of all of that. All of it. And if you are coming in with blessings and and joys and gifts, well, bring those too. We will rejoice with you. We will hear your confessions of faith and we will baptize you. We will celebrate what the Lord has done in you. And we will hear of uh, wrecked trucks and blown out motorcycle tires and plead with you for God's mercy. And we will allow our hearts to ache with you in the midst of sickness and uncertainty. We will hear of your hard duty and your grief over death of those you love and your troubles with money and your immovable, hard-hearted spouse. And we will plead for God's mercy and thanksgiving as you go to worship and serve Him for about six more days and then you come back. And we will still enter His gates with thanksgiving. You know, Paul echoes a similar idea, I think, when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I really want to know the will of God for my life. Pass it. There it is. You are welcome. Right there. Will of God for your life. Okay, I don't like that will of God for my life. Yeah, I don't, there are days where I don't like it either. Maybe I can get a different one. No. No, this is, this is what we're called to. Give thanks in all circumstances. But my spouse is really difficult. My budget is really tight. My doctor just gave me the diagnosis, and it is not good news. And you want me to thank God for that? Yeah. I mean, you're going to bear it anyway, right? So what would, you, would, you, would you really want to say, this is so hard, so on top of it, I'm going to be really miserable and ungrateful. Is that going to help? Because here's a bit of good counseling advice for you, right? So I, I, I don't think I'm the greatest counselor, but here's a bit of advice I've found. No matter how bad your situation is, you are absolutely capable of making it worse right? With your own bitterness. Yeah. There's an amen in the room. We'll pray for you. But how can we be thankful in all circumstances? Thankfulness. Oh, how do I do that? The only way to do it is if you have a God who is good. Verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures Forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Did you notice the four? For the Lord is good. Okay. So the whole psalm, worship him, be grateful, be glad, rejoice, be thankful. Why? For, here's your reason, for the Lord is good. He's good. His steadfast covenant love is unbreakable. It is sometimes severe and it will sometimes hurt. But the steadfast covenant love endures forever. That's our charge. We preach a good God to a miserable world. His love endures forever because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what are we going to need to make it in the midst of that? What fuel could possibly sustain gratitude and gratefulness and gladness in, in, in your heart in an absolutely miserable world? Your Lord Jesus, on the cross. One of my favorite scenes in Lord of the Rings is the battle of Helm's Deep when that horrible battle has reached its lowest point and the good men of the good kingdom of Rohan are about to get stomped out. Elves and men are falling and hordes of evil are prevailing and then Gandalf appears at the top of the hill with an army of reinforcements with him, with sunlight behind him, and he rides down into the valley, armed with sword and staff, and smile, smile, as he rides down. They are filled, all the men that see him coming are filled with joy and gratitude and hope, because their eyes have seen the fearless smile of their rescuer, who rides to their aid, bringing with him the end of the battle and the victory. So what do you and I need to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? We need to know that the Lord is good. How do we see his goodness? At his cross and at his table. Jesus has come to secure and finalize and absolutize every promise of God for you. We come to his cross that we might never doubt that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness lasts throughout every single generation. I don't care how the statistics look. Jesus secures all this for us because he's already given us the final chapter in writing. It will be the day when all of our stories are given sense. We make sense of them. Every enemy will by then have been crushed and the last one to die will be death itself and Jesus Christ the Son of God will lead us in glad triumph to the throne of His Father and it wouldn't surprise me at all if what Jesus does at that point is quote Isaiah 8 Here I am and the children you gave me. We come into His presence by entering His gates and His courts from generation to generation. Verse 5. And so this is the kind gift of our Lord Jesus, this confidence that is secured for us and that we take and eat and drink before we go to serve the world.